Hey everyone, it's Sanjay. With the holiday passing, I know many of us have been spending time with friends and family and loved ones. I certainly have. And I'm so excited to bring you this particular episode, which is a compilation of some of my favorite conversations that I've had with my family over the last year of the podcast. If there's just one thing that I hope you get out of this episode, I hope it's this. Sitting down and having real, deep, face-to-face conversations with your loved ones is so important. And recording those conversations, well, that's something that I will treasure for a long time, and you will as well. You don't have to have a podcast to give this a try. Talk with a family member. Ask questions that you may have otherwise never asked. Have a conversation that you may have never had. I certainly did, and it's been one of the most magical things in my life. So I hope you enjoy this special episode, and maybe it'll inspire you to sit down and talk to someone you love. One, two, I gotta check the levels. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, sound good. You're I doing, sound good. You're doing the TV voice again. That's me and my daughter, Soleil. Soleil is now 14 years old. She was 13 when I made this podcast with her. She is the youngest of my three daughters, and she is wise beyond her years. Whip smart. Her confidence can be kind of intimidating at times, even to me. I hate watching myself on TV. No, seriously. Because of your TV voice? No, because of my TV face. (laughs) (laughs) I spoke to Soleil earlier this year for the podcast. In fact, I've now spoken to all three of my teenage daughters about really important topics, including how social media and technology is impacting them, how it's impacting society. Soleil gave me a really welcome perspective and how some young people feel about our adult worries. The reason I started thinking about technology was because of you and your sisters. And um, wondering how technology is going to affect your lives. What do you think about that? I think that it already has probably affected our lives a lot. And like, it's just like how human evolution is going to go on. And like the technology that's in our lives now probably isn't going to change as much as we get older. Like people say that adults aren't on their phone as much, but I feel like when we become adults, we'll be on our phones more than adults now. I don't think it's a good or bad thing. Like there's plus and minuses, but like there's like certain downs that a lot of people try to avoid and like they try their hardest, but like even if they try to avoid it, they're going to be exposed to it in their lives. So there's not much people can do about it. It's just, it's just a thing. It's going to get worse as we go on or better as we go on. It depends on how you look on it. You're super smart. You know that? <laughs> I can't, you're 13 years old. Have you, have you thought about this issue a lot? Yeah. I got to tell you again, having these conversations on tape forever, it's great for me. Because she's right. Soleil's taught me a lot of things. All my girls have taught me so much. Like my eldest, Sage. How do you feel like, and I know it's a little bit of a weird question to ask considering I am your father, Luke. But the, um, <laughs> but how, how, do you, how do you feel like your childhood has been in terms of the how much we've allowed you to use these devices you know the permissions we've granted you the liberties things like that the the rules how do you feel it's worked out for you pretty well i think it turned out fine i'm turning out fine (laughs) but when i have kids of my own if i 
don't think I want to let them be on social media as early as I was. And I think I'd want to not restrict what they can go on. I just want to like teach them to be a little bit more responsible with their amount of usage and not what they view, but how much they view. Because I I think I'm a lot better with it now, but I think when I was a little younger, I was on my phone a lot. I got to tell you, that series of conversations, that was a bit of a wake-up call for me as a dad. It's the first time I ever got this personal on the podcast. Why are you nervous? Because I don't don't know. You don't like having conversations with your father? (laughs) Fancy conversations. This is a fancy conversation? Yes. (laughs) That's my daughter, Skye. And if she seems nervous or apprehensive, it's because she is. (laughs) But she got over those nerves pretty quickly. And you know what? I really love talking to her and bringing her into my world a bit. I think they all did a wonderful job. And the thing that really struck me about all three of my daughters, and I think you'll find this as well if you have a conversation like this, once you get into the groove, man, people get really honest. Um, what inspired you to do this podcast? You know, it's it's really interesting, Sky. I, I feel like a lot of times we're supposed to know the answers to things as parents, you know? But when it comes to things that are brand new like this, like keep in mind that smartphones really only came into, became popular in 2007, the year you were born. (laughs) Nobody knew how to live a world with these devices and social media. And nobody knew for sure how to parent with this, like what was right, what was wrong, like when the right age is, should we? And does it worry us as parents about social media? Yes. Because think about it. I didn't know what it was doing to your mental health. To be honest, I guess it was your mental health that I was most worried about. That was part of why I wanted to do the podcast on this topic this season. Is that a legitimate concern, by the way, the idea of depression and anxiety? Definitely. Um, I've heard a lot of like, I've heard about it happening a lot and I've just like, I've never seen it, but like. Do you have friends who deal with this? um, Yeah, I do have friends. More of them deal with anxiety than depression. And I don't think all of them are phone they caused by the like phone but like i definitely see that concern obviously it's it's tough to know what exactly is causing it but how much do you worry about the phone and social media being part of the cause um i think that like is definitely a big concern that like social media has like effect on our mental health and i think it does definitely so you asked me, like, what was the the inspiration for the season? And I guess that was probably it more than anything else, exactly what you're talking about. And we still don't really have a good handle on, right? Mm-hmm. And my guess is it's different for different kids. There's not an exact amount that's right for everybody. Yeah, I think it's different for everyone. You can never really know exactly what's going on in someone's head. Like, even, like, my best friends, I, like, we talk all the time. We, like... Can, like, I feel like I could tell them anything. I still don't really know what's going on in their head exactly. We focused eight episodes on social media. And we did it because I think it's one of the most important issues of our time. And I was reporting on this as I was experiencing it. That's how you often know an issue is important. Because it's not some issue that is over there, far away, not relevant. 
Social media affects everybody, and that's why we devoted so much time to it. I had a lot of questions as a parent, and I knew that I was not the only one. I wasn't even the only one in my household. iPhones are almost like a a parasite that's destroying its host instead of a parasite that has a symbiotic relationship yeah. with its host. That's my wife of nearly 20 years now, Rebecca. I, you know, constantly think about this idea that nobody knows really how to be a parent, right? I mean, you, your, your best example is your own parents. I mean, that's what you remember. Um, but then when you add a completely new thing into the mix, devices, social media, there is no metaphor for this. I mean, the closest metaphor would be like television, right? You may have watched too much television when you were a kid or maybe gotten on the phone and you'd be walking around the house and the phone cord would be trailing after you, you know, wrapping around things. But not like this. There's no precedent for, for what we're experiencing. So that makes it hard, I think, to figure out what the right thing to do is for your kids. Not just for our kids, but for ourselves. Right. It didn't exist when we were... Young, so we are learning how to manage it ourselves. So when you put it all together and you look at devices, but also social media, and you have to distinguish those things because, like you said, devices are important to to function nowadays, to get from point A to point B. But the social media part, how much do you worry about it for the girls, really? I feel that we were really lucky with our girls we taught them and their school taught them early on about how to look at social media and make healthy choices because it's you can't really make it go away. Am I concerned about the problems in society, the problems with girls and depression, the problems that um, have we've all been talking about, I am very, very much concerned about those things. Do I think that social media is to blame? It's it's really hard for me to say. Do you think we got it right in terms of when we gave our kids devices, when we allowed them to be on social media? Now that we have some hindsight on this, what do you think? Um, No, I'm sure. Sh- there's always areas of improvement, and there there are certain things that I wish I could have been stricter or more involved in, but I also do feel that, like, teaching your kids how to, you know, drive a car, go off and live an independent life, yeah. we have given them some tools to manage this in ways that, you know, because it's all happened during their lives and, and they've had to deal with those changes. Mm. And hopefully they can look at this and say, oh, my God, we need to make these, you know, make these rules, set these parameters, <laughs> stop these, you know, areas, because we, we didn't we didn't know. The conversations that I had with my wife and my daughters were extremely insightful. You know, I talk to them all the time, but when you have a structured conversation like this, it's different. It just is. You ask questions, you get information that maybe you otherwise never would have. I speak with a lot of experts, but I thought it was really good and important that my family was leading this conversation. Again, I'm not the only one worried about this issue. In fact, it was weirdly comforting in some ways to hear from so many of you, so many people out there, 
that this was weighing on their minds as well. In fact, after some of our episodes aired, the Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy, he called. And he was concerned about the effects of social media on kids' mental health. In fact, he was so concerned that he issued this advisory about it earlier this summer. And then he asked to join me on the podcast to talk about it. I think a lot of parents don't have the conversation with their kids about this. But you've got to have the conversation and ask, uh, is this making you feel badly in some way? Is this somehow mm-hmm. affecting your mental health? And I think you're surprised sometimes yeah. at the answers that you get. You're a, parent, you're a dad. You and your wife, uh, you have a five-year-old mm-hmm. and a six-year-old. So what are you going to do? So here's what we're going to do. And, and let me just say also that what you did, the point you just made about the conversation, having the conversation with your kids, that's so important. You know, we lay out in the advisory number of steps parents can take, but one of them is to open up a dialogue with your children about how they're using social media, what they're using it for, how it makes them feel, and also to help them understand what's a, a healthy and unhealthy use of social media. In terms of our kids, uh, you know, our, as you mentioned, my, my son is six, my daughter is five. Um, they're, they don't have social media accounts. They're, they're too young to, but the other day, my five-year-old daughter came home and asked my wife and I about posting a picture on social media. And we were we were shocked because we didn't know that she even knew. She's in preschool, by the way. We didn't know that she even knew <laughs> what social media was, but clearly her classmates are talking about it. So I, had, um, I read dad's advisory on this, she said. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Now I want to post. <laughs> so, but here's what, what we're thinking about doing. Um, we're going to try to delay the use of social media for our kids until past middle school. That's easier said than done. And so we're going to need some help uh, doing that. So we're also going to be talking to other parents and understanding if there are others who are similarly inclined. And we're going to try to partner with those parents so that our kids also don't feel like they're the only kids. Now, what was interesting is when you have these conversations and you listen closely, other topics often come up. I was talking with Rebecca about a recent visit from my own parents, and I remember this strange situation when we were talking a lot about social media with my teen girls, but in fact, I had to politely request to my mom that she not be on her phone at the dinner table. And it really got me thinking about my parents and how they are affected by all this changing technology. We often think about the young people, but these technologies have affected everyone. It also made me wonder how adaptable my parents have been their entire lives, how many changes they've seen, and how the pace of those changes have really accelerated. How they managed, despite all that, to actually get happier as they got older, which is one of the the best things in our lives. I was worried that when my parents retired, that they were just not going to be very happy. They had been very hardworking engineers their whole life. Did they have the capacity to truly be happy. And it made me wonder, is there a better way to get older, a better way to live your life, to be healthier physically and mentally at any age? I'm going to be 79 this year. I feel about that, not much different. I just turned 81 and I feel great. I probably feel younger than my age because I'm pretty active. I don't like to just sit around, you know, and do nothing. When we come back, I'm going to speak to the family that I grew up with, my parents and my little brother, Sunil. I always just assumed that when the kids left the house, 
I was going to be old. You know, I, there wasn't going to be much left ahead. Hmm. And now I kind of realize that maybe, maybe I can do a triathlon. You know, <laughs> maybe it's just really going to end up being the beginning of an exciting new phase. And now back to chasing life. You know, I get to explore some really interesting and empowering stories in my job as a journalist. Talking about aging is one of the most interesting of all. From the concept of aging itself to simple things like our friendships as we age, how hard is it to make friends as an adult, to even the great lengths that some people will go to extend their lifespans, the so-called biohacking movement. I had some really, really illuminating conversations, including with my little brother, Sunil. And when I call him little brother, I really mean it. He's a full 10 years younger than me, which means I'm Gen X, and he's basically on the cusp of being a millennial. In many ways, I've been like a third parent to him. By the way, I changed a lot of diapers, just so you know. (laughs) I was a masterful diaper changer by the time I had my own kids because of you. So thank you, I guess, you know. I actually think I do remember you like literally changing one of Sage's diapers and looking at me and saying, you know, I've thought a lot about you over the past few days. The thing about having a sibling that much younger is that they sort of become a benchmark of time, meaning that anyone that's his age or younger, they're still a kid in my mind. But of course, now he's all grown up. He's 44 years old. He's a successful CEO. He's a best-selling author. He's a renowned public speaker. He has a full family life. He has a wife, Lena, two daughters, Serena and Sammy, my nieces. I'm proud of the life that he's built for himself. But here's the thing. Above all those fancy titles, he's still my little brother. Someone that I can talk to about anything at any time. And even when life gets in the way and we go weeks without connecting, it's never hard to pick it right back up where we left off. When Serena is out of the house, I'm going to be how old? I'm going to be 50, about 56 years old, right? You know, if Serena ever leaves the house. <laughs> she likes her parents. But, she, but, but if, if she does, she graduates from high school and goes to college the way that you and I did, I'll be 56 years old, right? right? So that's right. two years older than you are yeah. right now. Yeah. You're, you're, you're freaking doing triathlons, <laughs> right? Yeah. So like, it's just a different mental model because I think maybe looking at the way that mom and dad were, or maybe other people that we sort of grew up with and their parents, I always just assumed that when the kids left the house, I was going to be old, you know, I, that there wasn't going to be much left ahead. Hmm. And now I kind of realize that maybe, maybe I could do a triathlon, you know, <laughs> maybe it's just really going to end up being the beginning of an exciting new phase. You know, even though you were out of the house by the time that I was like, you know, six years old, we we, we still had these these really uh, important moments throughout my childhood. And as I got as I got older, and I was trying to figure things out, you were the person that I sort of went to all the time when I was at these critical critical moments. I mean, we, we would talk all the time, but when it was kind of like, dude, I'm lost, and I don't know exactly what to do. You know, you were always the call of, listen, you know, I just. And this isn't working. Whatever I'm doing right now, is just not working. And I need to reboot things. I need to reset. And you were always the one who sort of talked me through those moments. What are some of your, your memories of those early years when you were still, I guess, 
you know, teen, preteen sort of time frame, and I was 10 years older. How would you look back on, on that time in our lives? It's so funny because I look, when I, when I imagine those moments, I see you as so old. Like I see you as, I see you as like this just old, like wise man. And now I realize you're, you're 20 years younger than I am now, you know? And, and it's just, it's hard for me to sort of bring all this together in my mind sometimes. Time is such a funny, yeah. such a funny thing. But for me, you know, you seem so certain, and you seem so why like you seemed like you knew exactly what was happening. There was always a, there was always a uh, confidence. There was always a, um, um, you know, there was always a uh, a grounded as what I would say a grounded ambition. You know, like you you wanted things. You wanted you knew that you had sort of I think big sights set for your life, but you were always very grounded in the way that you went about that. And and I always found that to be kind of very inspirational, especially because. You know, when when mom and dad would compare uh, the two of us, they were just kind of like, my God, look at Sanjay. What the hell are you doing with your <laughs> grades and with your life, you know? And but, but and, and so they wanted me to admire you because you were smart. And, and I did. Uh, and they wanted me to admire you because you achieved. And I did. But what I admired more than that was that you had done all these things and you had this character about you that, um, you know, more than anything else, that's what I wanted. Okay, that was really nice. That was humbling. And I'm going to keep that audio clip forever. But most of all, I know that Sunil, like all of us, had seen his fair share of ups and downs in life. And I was just truly grateful that I could be there when he needed me and that I'm still going to be there as he enters middle age. I always sort of feel that you can turn things around and, you know, I, I, I have my, I have my months where I'm like, oh my God, I'm just eating terribly and just like not like just really not doing the, the, you know, the sticking to the habits that I know put me in a good place. Um, but, and I've been, I think like a lot of, you know, I guess middle-aged men, middle-aged people generally where we sort of have our swings, you know, where all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, like I, I, I got like, where the, where the hell did the, these like love handles, like all of a sudden just like emerge from. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and so then like now, and, and I think you can go in one of two directions, right? You can be like, oh, well, F it. This is life, you know, such is the case. Or you can be like, hey, let me, let, me actually, let me actually turn things around. I think that having seen dad's story, uh, there's no way for me to believe that you can't actually turn things around. What he's describing was a truly formative time for our entire family. You see, my dad had had crushing chest pain one day. It seemed to come out of the blue. And then all of a sudden, our lives became a blur. I was the one who called 911, and I still have a hard time to this day imagining the conversation that I must have had. I think my dad is having a heart attack. Come quick. That's what I said. He was only 47 at the time. I was 11 years old when he was, when he had his triple bypass, quadruple bypass surgery, you know? And that was, um, you know, that was one of those situations where everything sort of changed. I, I think that, um, you know, having an operation like that is different today than it was back then. You know, it, it seems like it was just a, a massive, massive ordeal at that at that time, right. and and it was. Um, but I think part of it was because he was so young, and so I think that you might have a better sense of this than I do. But I always felt like there was a bit of um, shame, hmm. 
that that sort of came with that um where i think we 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 didn't we stopped being as social as we as we had before we stopped interacting and and i think um in a lot of ways mom and dad sort of uh, wanted to kind of go into their shell a little bit during that time um that was the, that was sort of the the one side of it but the, the other side of it that was much more positive was that they really started to develop some very healthy habits during that time. Like I, I kind of assumed, I don't know if this was right for me to assume or not. I was 11 years old, but I kind of assumed that dad was kind of on his last leg at that time. Did you, and I was curious, did you think he might not survive this? I, I did, you know, and, and you know, I, there was no internet back then. So I wasn't going online and, and Google searching this, but it was like, it was kids at school that would talk about their grandparents and they're like, oh, well, if he had a if he had a surgery like that, I mean he's got he's got a few years to live, you know. Like mm. I remember like people telling me that and believing it, you know. I'm like, wow. I mean, dad is like, dad's on his way out, and you know, I think that watching him sort of turn that around may, like in retrospect, may be one of the most inspiring things that I've ever really witnessed. So again, it was a very intense time, indeed, for all of us. I remember being super worried. My parents are both immigrants to this country. If my dad had not survived, I didn't know what it meant for any of us, frankly. I didn't know if we'd be able to make it work in the United States any longer. It was, it was challenging. Obviously, we were mostly concerned about his health. But the ripple effect, the ramifications on all of us were so significant. I think it's part of the reason why I'm so relieved now, decades later, that my father's not only alive, but that I can safely say that he is thriving in his retirement. You can tell our audience how old you are first and then how old you feel. Okay, I'm going to be 79 this year. I feel about that. Not much different in my particular case, I, I feel that I've, I'm on overtime right now. Is that right? Yeah. How so? If I look at the longevity in the family, I never thought that I'll make, I'll be here. What, what did, what did you think? My father, he died when he was seventy-four. So that that made me think that maybe I will not even last that long. Hmm. But you kept the number in the back of your mind, 74. That's right. That's exactly right. And so now you feel like it's overtime. Yep. Were you scared, you know, in your late 50s, 60s, early 70s? Were you, was that a scary time? Not scary, but it's just anxiety. There was anxiety? Yeah. And how about now? Now it's not anxiety. I, I, I think I'll be, I'm all prepared for it. Again, it's sometimes unusual to have conversations with loved ones that are so candid, even though you talk to them all the time. Hearing that my dad overcame some of his anxiety about getting older was somehow comforting to me as someone who has shared these same worries. I was 13 years old when my grandfather died of a stroke. It was a very formative time for me and for the whole family. In some ways, it was what led me to go into medicine. I spent a lot of time in the hospital with him. I had never been in hospitals before. The doctors were kind. They were compassionate. They explained things to me. And I think it was the first time I really thought that medicine could be a career. 
Nobody in my family had ever been a doctor before. It also made me better understand not just the physical, but the emotional aspects of illness. And I'm glad my dad has made peace with his anxiety and his fears about getting older. I wanted to hear my mom's thoughts on this as well. I just turned 81 and I feel great. I probably feel younger than my age because I'm pretty active. I don't like to just sit around, you know, and do nothing. What did you think about what dad just said about this borrowed time thing? I don't think that way. Whatever it is, I want to live healthy. So I don't want to bring any negative thoughts in my mind. I just, uh, you know, get up and do my routine every day. (laughs) I go to bed early and I get up early and we walk. We do water aerobics. We go to gym, having friends over. So life is good. Just listening to my mom, you'd be surprised if I told you that her life hasn't always been so carefree. She fled what is now called Pakistan as a five-year-old refugee. It was a time of a bloody partition back in 1947. She spent a lot of her life as a refugee before she finally was able to leave India in her early 20s. At the time, no one probably could have imagined that that little girl living in a refugee camp would one day go on to be Ford Motor Company's first female engineer. What she is proof of to lots of people, but especially her family, is that anything is possible. You had a period of time when this partition happened in India and you had to flee and live in refugee life. Yes. I mean, can you look back on that and say that was also good? Yes, very good. You know, because, you know, if you have good times all the time, you don't realize what really good times are. And uh, that's uh, probably the best thing happened because we were very comfortable, the part which became Pakistan, and we had to flee in the middle of the night. And I remember everything very clearly till this day. We were we went to the coastal town from our village to Karachi that time and literally put on the cargo ships. We floated for several days before reaching Mumbai. And life just changed totally. But I learned from my parents and grandparents that everything in the life happens for the good. And I now totally believe in it. So when hard time comes, think about it. Every day it gets dark, but the sun always will rise. I'm blessed. I feel very fortunate that this year on the podcast, we've featured these amazing conversations with experts on technology and how we can make the most of our age. And I really hope you go back and take a listen because some of these conversations have been really insightful. And it'll be interesting to see how things in the world unfold over the next several years. But I have to say what's been especially amazing was to have my family be a part of these important conversations as well. Because it was not only informative because I learned from their lived experience, but also because I got to learn a little bit more about each of them. My daughters, they taught me to not be afraid of developing technologies, not to be immediately suspicious of things, that even though things may be difficult, we still find a way to adapt and integrate these things into our lives. And we have to do that. My wife, she's taught me to embrace the unknown, 
to be okay with uncertainty when it comes to parenting, to not be so hard on myself, I'm pretty hard on myself, and to not look back and second-guess decisions that we already made. My brother, he taught me that the people around us, they're the ones who shape us. So be selective in the people around you. They influence the way that we age and in turn our health. And my parents, they've taught me everything. They taught me that we can come back from anything. They've been such an inspiring force in my life. And everything I am today is because of them. It's on their shoulders. They overcame so much in their lives. They sacrificed so much for us. And I'm delighted to say they are having a fantastic time in their golden years. So I hope that you get a chance to enjoy this holiday. I hope you get a chance to learn more about your loved ones. We talk a lot about going to the doctor and getting your physical exam and making sure you're taking care of your physical health. I think one of the best things that you can do for your mental health is to be vulnerable, to be candid, and to be honest with the people that you love. Pay attention a little bit more deeply to your loved ones as well. Next season on Chasing Life, we're going to explore one of the most captivating mysteries that I've ever come across, both as a journalist and as a neurosurgeon, the human brain. What's really going on in our heads as we move our bodies through the world? What is the difference between a brain that can be attentive and sit through a three-hour movie versus one that is constantly checking the phone looking for a distraction? How do we improve that focus? How do we best nourish our brain with food and with information? What's the impact of things like long COVID, depression, dating apps, even coffee? We're going to have incredible insights this season on how you can actually build a stronger brain and keep sharp. Matters of the Brain. It's all coming up on the next season of Chasing Life, and it starts next week. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Our podcast is produced by David Rind, Xavier Lopez, and Grace Walker. Our senior producer and showrunner is Felicia Patinkin. Andrea Kane is our medical writer, and Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. Dan DeJula is our technical director, and the executive producer of CNN Audio is Steve Lichtai. Also, a special thanks to Ben Tinker, Amanda Seeley, and Nadia Kuneng of CNN Health. 